talk a little bit about the idea of doubt. Um, James read for us Mark chapter 9. That is where I'm going to start, so if you want to go ahead and, and get back to that place. I have a few comments about that text. Um, but the reason uh, I think it's important to talk about doubt in kind of this general faith sense is because all of us are going to face it. Some of you may be facing it very uh, readily right now. You may have doubt in your life about spiritual things. If you're in a place of confidence about spiritual things, it's because you are at once in a place of doubt and you've moved through that. And so doubt, I want to make a couple points about this morning, this afternoon, whatever time frame we're in now. Um, But the first of which I want to talk about like kind of what doubt is. And I think most of us understand doubt in a practical sense. But by definition, it's kind of this uh, intellectual and it can be even an emotional barrier uh, to something more solid, to something more, uh, more complete. And in, in a spiritual sense, it's faith, right? It's, a, it's an intellectual or emotional barrier to a more complete or solid faith in God or a biblical teaching. And that, that's really what doubt is as it relates to us this, this afternoon. Um, but as we consider doubt, the first point that I want us to, to kind of focus in on is from Mark chapter 9. Um, and oftentimes what we're going to encounter for us in this room, right? Because you've shown some interest in spiritual things. You've shown some interest in knowing about God or knowing about Jesus, whatever that case is, just by being here uh, today. And so you may be inclined to want to believe, right? Uh, Maybe you already do believe, but doubt maybe kind of gets in the way sometimes. You might have some areas where you're unsure You're not as confident. You have questions. And so we would call that doubt. And I think Mark chapter 9 is helpful in in maybe addressing uh, foundationally or principally kind of how we need to approach this. So let's look at Mark chapter 9 again. Um, In this text, of course, as James read it for us, we know know the story. Jesus is confronted with this boy that has this unclean or you might say demonic spirit. And Jesus, being the Son of God himself, this story tells us that Jesus is able to deal with that. Um, and, and in dealing with this and being able to heal this, this young boy, there's a couple of things that end up happening, particularly with this boy's father, that I think are helpful for our discussion this uh, uh, afternoon. Look particularly uh, down in verse uh, 23. This man says, just prior to this, you know, if you can help, basically, please do. In verse 23, Jesus says, Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And this is a statement Jesus makes repeatedly. He makes it in different ways. In fact, we have statements like Jesus, like if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. And so Jesus is always making this point that a little bit of faith, right, can accomplish anything. And so... He says this to this, this boy's father, and look what the boy's father says back to him. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cries out and says, I believe, help my unbelief. So the first point that I want to make to you guys is that faith and doubt are not mutually exclusive things. We can have faith, you can have faith in God and still have doubt in God. Like they can coexist. And what this man is saying is he has faith enough that Jesus can have some influence, some sway in his son. 
But the type of faith Jesus is talking about, he's saying, you know what, I have some room to grow there. Right? Um, in fact, I would argue that this story would have never happened if this man didn't have some faith that Jesus could do something because he approached Jesus about his son. But then when Jesus talks to him and pushes him a little bit and says, if I can do this, if you just had some faith, well, he's like, well, help my unbelief, right? So I think that's one important point is um, sometimes I think in an effort to mature, we want, we want to have solid faith. We end up kind of discouraging ourselves by um, creating this false dichotomy of I should never have any doubt. And obviously Jesus works with people that have faith and doubt kind of coexisting. Now certainly the Bible, as we're going to talk about today, wants us to move into more solid faith. Wants us to move past some of the, the, the simple elementary principles that doubt may create or uh, can be approached in. But certainly Jesus is not unwilling to work with this man in his doubt. right? And that's important for us to see. Another thing that I think this text helps us to identify is there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Now, interestingly enough, this text often in English is translated unbelief, um, but we can see that what we commonly call unbelief is not actually what this text is revealing to us by the way it's used, right? He says, Lord, in verse 24, or he says, sorry, I believe, help my unbelief, right? The way that in English we would actually use a word like that would be more similar to doubt, right? Help my doubt, right? In fact, by definition, uh, unbelief really is this idea that someone has set themselves against the act of believing. In fact, that's more similar to a text like John chapter 12. I'm just going to read one verse from there to illustrate this point. John chapter 12, if you want to look at that with me, you can. It's going to be in verse 37. John chapter 12, verse 37 says this. Uh, though he had done so many signs, speaking of Jesus, of course, though he had done so many signs before them, this group of people, they still did not believe in him so that the word of Isaiah might be fulfilled. Um, it's this idea that in the face of signs, evidences, proofs, you choose not to believe in them. That's really the idea of unbelief, is that you set yourself against the evidence or the weight, right? Sometimes we may, we're going to have reasons for that. You know, these people probably would discredit Jesus. We don't have reason to believe in the signs because we don't like his message or because he doesn't fulfill the concept of a Messiah that we have or whatever, but they've set themselves against belief. It's not that they doubted, right? Now, this man in Mark chapter 9, the idea is he believes in Jesus, but he has room in his belief to grow. And so he expresses that as unbelief, as doubt, right? And so I think that's the second important concept. The first one being doubt can exist even within people of faith. Um, and we need to be working to grow into a more solid faith, but they can coexist, especially at the beginning of our faith. And then the second thing is that doubt and unbelief are not the same. We don't need to, one, discourage ourselves feeling that doubt is unbelief. It's not necessarily that. But we also don't need to lie to ourselves and tell, tell ourselves or tell other people we have doubt when really we have unbelief. We need to, to be able to identify the two differences there. Um, so with all of that said, 
I think the most important thing for us is not whether or not asking the question whether or not we have doubt. Because all of us, even those of us who have been Christians for a long time or whatever, have doubts or will have doubts or have had doubts at some point. You're probably going to have a bunch of them at various points in your life. The question is not will I have them, it's what do I do with it, right? We all have doubts in anything really, not just spiritual things. I have doubts about school, I have doubts about my job, I have doubts about my friendships, my relationship with my wife can create doubts sometimes. I mean anything you can have doubts in. And so we need to ask what do we do with the doubts when we're facing them, right? And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, I want to offer an illustration. I don't know if this is weird. I've debated using this illustration, but you guys can let me know afterwards if it was totally weird. But the way I was thinking about this is, uh, you know, when when a woman is pregnant with a child, uh, it's kind of, you know, we use the word miracle. It's not really a miracle. It's natural, but it seems like such an amazing thing. We call it a miracle that, like the body adapts and the child grows and there's this whole new system that kind of forms and takes place to be able to to bring this child into the world. And part of that is this idea of having an umbilical cord and the child receiving what it needs through the umbilical cord. And I think uh, in many ways the illustration can be made that faith is sort of that umbilical cord, like we're that baby, right? And then, And faith is that umbilical cord that attaches us to God, right? And through faith, we're getting everything that we need for life and godliness, right? Kind of like a baby would through that umbilical cord, right? Unbelief would be like us severing that cord, right? What's going to happen to that child if you do that prematurely? The child's going to be injured or, or killed even, right? That's kind of what unbelief can do. It can, it can hurt us and our growth and our godliness and all those things because it cuts us off from God. But really, doubt is more of not so much the severing of, of this umbilical cord, but is really the temptation that Satan uses to convince us we should sever the cord. Right? Like Satan is saying, you don't really need that cord. You shouldn't believe. You should just sever that attachment from God. Right? That's doubt. So there is a different, that's maybe one weird kind of way, if you can follow me on this, that we can see the difference between doubt and unbelief. Right? Unbelief says, I'm done. Doubt says, should I be done? Right? Um, and so I want to talk about what do we do in those moments when Satan has put that temptation in front of us, when we're thinking, okay, I have doubts. What do I do? Do I, do I cut off God? Do I move on? Do I say something like this man in Mark chapter 12, Lord, help my unbelief. Like, What does that even mean? I want to talk about some of this today. So I think the first step, um, oftentimes you'll hear this in like alcoholic anonymous meetings and things like that. The first step is admitting you have a problem, right? And I would say just admit that you have doubt. Just admit it. Like I know for me, I grew up, I wouldn't say in a particularly a spiritual home, but I grew up in a home that at least on the surface valued the concept of God and being a Christian. And though we didn't go to church all the time and things of that sort, I kind of had this this family, I don't know if system's the right word, but expectation that I would believe in a God, right? I would believe in the, the Jehovah God of the Bible. 
And so there was some shame in me to even acknowledge that I had doubt. Even though my family wasn't the most spiritually minded in that time, there was still kind of this expectation that you would believe in God and Jesus, right? And so to express any doubt that you may have was kind of like a scary thing because I would, I would have felt like the only one doing that, right? would have been out kind of on a limb. I would have felt odd, especially among certain family members. And I think the more I look at this biblically, doubt has to occur to be, have real belief. Like you have to start from a place of doubt to have any kind of real faith, right? Um, even for those of us who've grown up in homes that expect you to, be, to believe, you need to start in a place of doubt so that you can manifest true belief when you encounter God's evidences and Jesus' signs and things like that. And so I think admit that you have doubt. It's not an inherently evil or bad place to start in, in doubt, to, to be in doubt. The question, rather, like I said earlier, is what do we do with that doubt? So first, admit that doubt to yourself. Admit it to God. I think that's one thing we learned from this man in Mark chapter 12 is he doesn't hide his doubt from Jesus. He asks Jesus, you know, help me with this. So he admits it to, to himself. He admits it to God. And I would say, even within reason, admit it to the people around you that can be helpful to you. Um, I think that was the scariest thing for me was saying it out loud. You know, oh, I have a doubt in this. I'm, I'm not certain about this thing or the other. Well, a lot of Satan's power over you in doubt is the secrecy of it. I think he works in kind of the dark places of doubt rather than the open places of it. And so if you can admit it, if you can admit it to God and you can get people to know about maybe some of your doubts, you've taken a big step in dealing with it, right? So I would offer you that. Admit your doubt. And when you've done that, you've eliminated much of its power to, to hurt you, right? to be detrimental to you. In fact, it's when we ignore our doubts that we're giving them weight when we're giving them power, when we're giving them, um, I guess, the ability to kind of rule in our lives. It's when we ignore them or we suppress them or anything like that, that they're all of a sudden legitimized, right? And they're important and they're weighty. And so when we can deal with those and we can be honest with them, that's a great start. I would say the second thing is to not obsess over it. That seems a little counterintuitive, and I'm not saying don't deal with it. I'm saying don't obsess over it. Don't become preoccupied with your doubt. Um, I guess maybe in some ways to think about this is kind of an unhealthy preoccupation uh, with of your doubt uh, can create unbelief more quickly. Um, unbelief really is the product of a doubt, and I think the more... Uh, preoccupied you are with your doubt, the more disposed you are to move rashly into unbelief uh, because it's going to consume you. And oftentimes, I'm going to talk about this a little more in a moment, our doubts are unanswerable. Oftentimes, we have doubts that we can't really have an answer to if they're intellectual ones. And so becoming preoccupied with that, you're going to obsess over something that there is no answer to, and you'll move quickly into unbelief because of that. And so I think a balanced kind of approach to, to this doubt, to being uh, honest about it, but not becoming obsessed over it, is the best way to approach this a, a doubt that you may have. 
Um, in fact, I found this quotation and I thought it was helpful. It's not a biblical quotation. A man named uh, McGrath, last name, I won't offer more than that. You can talk to me if you have more questions about it afterwards. He says this, feed your doubts and your faith will starve, but feed your faith and your doubts will starve. And so I think when we're talking about not becoming preoccupied with some of the doubts that we may have, whatever they may be, whether they're uh, scientific, whether they're moral, whether they're logical, whatever those doubts may be, um, for those of us who are already Christians, that are already following Jesus, and those doubts start to come up through conversations we have with friends, through some reading of a book or whatever that we've done, don't become preoccupied with them. Just as McGrath says, like continue to feed your faith. And oftentimes what you're going to realize down the road is that thing never was really an issue. Like you were caught in a moment, you were caught in something that actually ended up resolving itself if you gave it time and growth and thought. You'll deal with it appropriately then. And so, again, I'm not saying ignore your doubts, but don't obsess over them. Don't become preoccupied with them. In fact, I would suggest to you the one of the fundamental um, underlying issues with obsessing over a doubt is that it assumes that that doubt is answerable, that there is an answer to that concern that you have. And what I mean by that is not that certainly God can't answer a doubt. I'm not trying to say that, but for instance, we may have some doubts that are based on logistical or scientific things that we do not have answers to right now. Um, we may never have an answer to it. Physicists have been struggling with so many questions in the scientific realm, particularly as they introduce concepts that they're learning from outer space into what they thought they knew about the laws of physics, light, all of these things. I mean, Richard could talk to you for hours and hours about that. He loves reading about that stuff. But does it cause a physicist to doubt addition and subtraction and multiplication and all these other fundamental things that are true. No, they're working on higher level things that they don't quite understand, you know, quantum theory, string theory, all these things that they're still trying to sort through the implications of doesn't cause them to give up what they do know. Multiplication, subtraction, addition, all this basic stuff that goes into that. And so I would say our faith in Jesus, our faith in God is the same way. If you come up with some doubt that you have from some higher thing, don't assume that you can get an answer. Sometimes you can't, but it shouldn't cause you to give up what you know. It shouldn't cause you to give up what is more fundamental of your faith that maybe you've forgotten about in your preoccupation with that doubt. And so I would say that don't make the fundamental mistake of assuming you can have an answer. You may not be able to, that assumption is a prideful one. It's one certainly Satan wants to use in your doubt to create unbelief. Um, and so don't make that assumption that it is an answerable doubt. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And it's best not to be obsessed over it. In fact, Proverbs chapter 3, um, I'll begin reading in verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, obviously, I'm not suggesting a biblical text to you if you're even questioning the validity of the Bible. That wouldn't make sense at all. But for those of us in this room, which I imagine are many of us, if not most of us, if you are already a Christian, if you're already a believer, and you're facing some sort of doubt, right? Remember passages like this. You know, we can't have all the answers all the time, but what we can have is the Lord, and the Lord we can lean on, right? And what Proverbs 3, 5 says, if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and we don't, we fight that temptation to lean just on our own understanding, um, he will make our path straight. I don't really know how to explain how that happens. It's kind of like the peace that passes understanding that is talked about in the New Testament. I can't explain exactly how that occurs, but it's true. If we don't obsess over our doubts and we let the Lord handle them and we lean on his understanding, oftentimes we look back years later and say, what was I worried about? I don't even understand what I was doubting. It's kind of just worked out, right? And oftentimes, just like McGrath said, if we feed our faith, our doubts starve, right? So first of all, like I said, admit you have a doubt. Second of all, just don't obsess over it. Third of all, change the way you think. And this is what I mean by that. Much of our doubt is actually born out of the way that we feel, not actually what we know. Um, Have you guys experienced that? Where like, you know one truth, like you know your friend is actually your friend, but in that moment you just feel something bad, right? Like I feel like they don't care about me. It's like, well, you know they do. They call you or they text you or they they brought you food or they hang out with you all the time. But yeah, just like I feel like we're drifting apart. You know, stuff like that happens. It's like intellectually you know one thing, but your emotions are telling you another And so I think when we're dealing with doubts, oftentimes we're dealing with emotions that are fueling a doubt, right? And so what we need to do is, I think emotions have their place and they're helpful, but fundamentally what we need to do is change the way that we think. We need to have feelings that are more informed by what we know when it comes to our faith. Um, Our body can be misleading. Our emotions can be manipulated. But the Lord's word is forever. It's unchanging and it's true. And so certainly if God tells us one thing and through a series of uh, contexts and events in my life, I start to feel something contrary to that, well, then what do I trust? Do I trust the feeling that I have or do I trust what I know the Lord has told me? And oftentimes that's, that's the contradiction, that's the battle that our doubts are facing. It's not... Is it knowledge versus knowledge? It's feeling versus knowledge, right? And so I would suggest that we change the way that we feel, I mean, that we think. We often say things like this. I don't feel loved, right? I don't uh, feel saved. I don't feel at peace. I don't, uh, you know, feel whole or, you know, just whatever phrasing. Well, if I have lived according to what I know is true as a believer, as a Christian, if I live according to what I know God has told me, then I want to feel, I want my feelings to be in line with the word of God, but that doesn't mean they always will be, right? Like I want those to coalesce. I want those to be in harmony, but sometimes 
when God says, you are saved, I'm going to feel as if I'm not. Like, didn't David do that in the Psalms? He would write and write and write in these, like, beautiful song prayers to God about how he felt abandoned and how his enemies were taking advantage of him and surrounding him and beating him up and scowling at him. And, and then just mere verses later, the whole tone of the psalm will change because he reflects on truths that God has shared with him. Not that like his situation changes, not necessarily even that like his feeling changes, but he's like, but I know that you are with me and you guide me and your rod and your staff comfort me. Right, And so we need to manifest and we need to create in ourselves as Christians, if you are one, this mentality that, okay, very similarly to David, I may feel any number of things, but my doubts, right, the way I think about them, how I fuel them, doesn't need to be based on that. It needs to be based on what I know from God. Proverbs 28, 26 uh, says that he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. So if I wanted a much more succinct way to say everything I've just said, I could have just read that verse and been like, all right, moving on. But that's basically it, right? Like the Lord acknowledges that our heart is is foolish oftentimes. And so we have to anchor it in, in the truth of the Lord. In fact, in John 17, verse 17, the way that Jesus speaks about this in kind of his prayer when he's uh, coming to the end of his time before his crucifixion, he offers this beautiful prayer in John 17 about the unity of the apostles there and so many things about the helper coming and all this stuff. But in that, in verse 17, he says, sanctify them, right, his followers, in truth, your word is truth. If I'm going to fight my doubts, then I need to think like Jesus thought. I need to be like covered in, sanctified by, solidified in, established by the truth. And what that is, is not my feeling, it's God's words. And so we need to change the way we think. Another uh, writer, not a biblical writer, I always enjoy finding people in the world that end up saying godly things because I think it backs up a lot of the truths of the Bible. But Elizabeth Elliot, I think, was a Christian, whatever she meant by that. Um, But she says this, The difficulty is to keep a tight rein on our emotions. A life lived in God is not lived on the plane of feelings but of the will. Isn't that true? Like, really, to be a disciple, which is our theme for this year, um, that's what we were talking about in Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a lot of feelings, right? I mean, I don't know how he dealt with all that, that he dealt with. But we're commanded, really, fundamentally, to do the same thing. Probably the largest command of the Lord, in a general sense, is for us to be self-controlled. We have feelings, impulses that say, do this, want this, think this, right? We have lust, we have pride, we have greed, we have all these things that our body or the, our situation might want us to pursue. And God is saying, but my will wants this for you. And so we have to control that. We have to use God's will with our own to control it. And that's what uh, Elizabeth Elliot was reflecting on. You know, our, our greatest battle is is not lived out on the plane of feelings, but rather of the will. Right. So if you have doubt, uh, change the way you think. Start to, to inform um, your doubts with things you know, not with the feelings that you have. Right. 
finally, uh, lastly, the thing that I want to say about this, I feel like all of my advice with this doubt has, one, been general because it's hard to be specific, um, but also has been sort of obvious. I don't think I'm saying anything that is particularly revelatory, um, but I, I think it's true. I think it's biblical, and that's why I'm saying it. And I, I just say that to say this last point is even more of that, I think. But um, the last thing, the fourth thing when you're dealing with doubt is I think you just have to, like, practice. And what I mean by that is not practicing, like, don't doubt. Practice don't doubting. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, kind of that mentality that I, I said earlier that McGrath reflected that if you feed your doubts, your faith will starve. But if you feed your faith, your doubts will starve. That's kind of what I mean by practice. Like, don't use your doubts as excuses to stop in your faith. Like keep doing what you know until you can sort through those doubts. Like keep practicing what you know until you like your doubts can be resolved or that you can get to a place to seek them out or someone can help you or you can talk or read or whatever. Oftentimes my temptation is I have a doubt, stop everything I know, focus in on this, obsess over it, stop growing or doing anything else, right? And just deal with this. And oftentimes there's no like way to get to an answer, right? Some of those intellectual questions, like, you know, I, I don't want to bring up too many, but like one you might have in the scientific realm, right? Is like, how is, how is light from millions of years ago, allegedly here now? And like, what does that say about the age of the universe? And like, how do I sort through all that? Well, I don't have an answer for that right now. So do I stop following Jesus Christ to deal with that question or do I keep that question honest in the back of my mind and continue to do what I know and maybe keep my eyes on looking for an answer for that right and that's what I mean by practice so practical sides of practicing is like study the evidences know why and I believe this wholeheartedly or I wouldn't be here this morning let alone standing in front of everybody know why the proof is with Jesus Christ like this is true this is historical. It has been proven. It has been tested. It's been found not lacking. Study those evidences that say Jesus is the Christ. God's word is what's real. Read God's truth. Be familiar with it. Know what God is saying to you so that when you're fighting kind of this battle of wills, you actually know what the right one is, right? Just know the evidences. Know God's will so that in times of doubt we, that we all face that you're not alone in, you have those things as a foundation. That like you're not left totally just out in the air, unanchored to any kind of direction. That when you're facing doubts that you say like, man, I don't feel saved, you can say, well, but I know, because I've read God's word, that I am. Because I know that those who believe in Jesus Christ, right, and are baptized into him for the forgiveness of their sins, who walk according to the spirit, not the flesh, are saved. And I can know that even though I don't feel that right now. Right? Practice those things. Don't, don't stop them for your doubts. Philippians chapter 4 in verse 9 as I conclude um, says this. I think sums this up. What you, have, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace be with you. If we make uh, make a practice of doing the things, uh, doing these things, doing spiritual things, 
even when we're dealing maybe with some doubts, uh, then we're going to be faith-filled, and we'll have them to lean on any time a doubt arises. Um, if we feed our faith, our doubts will starve. Um, so again, the lesson's over. Uh, just kind of some things I want to say. This has been very general, intentionally so. There's all types of doubts that we may have, emotional or intellectual, and even within those two categories, there's scientific doubts, there's logical doubts, there's moral doubts. I mean, some doubts are rooted in experiences we've had, some doubts are rooted in things we've read, whatever. I mean, there's any number of doubts that we can face. My point was not to walk us through any specific one, but rather to offer a biblical framework and how to think about doubt how to delineate and be honest with ourselves and God, whether we're actually doubting or whether we're not believing. (laughs) And then also, like, what are some steps for those of us who may have faith that faces doubts that I can kind of take to at least give me a framework to approach them in? Um, That was all I intended to cover today. So um, there's a lot of things I could have said that I didn't. But also another thing that I didn't really talk about in this lesson, obviously, is... Jesus specifically, I didn't really talk about who he is, what he teaches, what he like asks of us if we believe in him to be saved from our sins. I didn't talk about any of that stuff. Um, but what I hope you did see, particularly in Mark chapter 9, is the premise for this doubt um, conversation is because Jesus uh, does what he does in Mark chapter 9. And that's this man asks him to heal someone who had no way of being healed otherwise. And Jesus actually does it. But in the process of doing something that no man could do, right? Jesus has this conversation about what faith is and what doubting is. And the man, the God, as the Bible speaks of him as both, that is able to do this is concerned about you and me actually believing in what he says. That matters to him. And so that's why we're talking about doubt today. Um, So if you're someone that... um, believes in Jesus Christ, don't let doubts derail you. Um, Be honest about them. Figure them out, but try to do so in the framework that I offered as a biblical one. If you're someone that hasn't really figured out if you believe in Jesus Christ or not, um, know that he actually cares whether or not like what you decide in that. And like this man, he wants to help move you from whatever doubts or unbelief that you have into faith. And so I would encourage you to pursue the teachings and the signs of Jesus because he can move you from those into faith, which is where you need to be. Um, So anyway, I hope this lesson's been helpful for you wherever you may be this morning in your faith. Uh, If there's anything that I can help you with, talk to me. Um, Talk to someone you're comfortable with. I know anyone in here uh, would be willing to have those conversations. That's why we're here today. So be honest with yourself because the only person that's going to lose out if you're dishonest about your doubt is you. And so be honest about this and really evaluate your life. Um, This song that Blake has picked out is just really a time for us to encourage each other. And if you're thinking about this question and you have a request of the group here, during the song or after the song is your time to kind of let us know about that. So anyway, if you have any of those needs, you can come while we're singing this song.